Welcome to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. I'm Gwen Filosa. I'm a reporter at the Miami Herald. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org. Hillary Jordan, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Let's talk about Anonymous Sex. This collection came out, uh, you edited this with Cheryl Tan. It's a huge success, acclaimed collection of, um, of erotic stories. Is that the right word? Can we use yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great word to use. Stories centered around sex, um, written by you know literary luminaries some of, who have won the Pulitzer Prize, National Book Award, you know, the Penn Awards. So we really um, set out to bring in authors who are at the top of their game. And um, what was it like to send out, did, were there authors and writers who you just sent emails to and said, hey, do you want to do this? Or Well, that's basically what it was. You yeah. Know? Uh, our, first, our, our first invitee was um, Julia Glass, who introduced me and Cheryl uh, many years ago. And... Um, and then we just kind of went from there. I think we sent 90 letters and we got 27 yeses, which is actually a pretty good ratio when you think about what we're asking people to do, uh, which is write about something very intimate. Yeah. And um, and even, even some of the people who said no just really loved the idea of the project, but they, you know, are getting a book out or, you know, whatever. So it was, um, yeah. It was. We started writing those letters in June, and um, and we sold the book to Scribner in October. So it happened pretty quickly. And um, what uh, I don't know of any collections uh, like this. I mean, they're anonymous. Uh, the stories are anonymous. We don't know who uh, who wrote which ones. And there's a is there like an agreement that they can't bust their anonymity and tell everyone there is so we each signed a contract um saying that for 18 months we would not reveal after publication we would not reveal which story was ours um and to your first point no I don't think there's ever been a collection like this um as far as we know there hasn't been and we just loved loved the idea of it and the idea of freeing up authors to write whatever they wanted and and um Sex seems to be a really difficult thing for anyone to write about. Uh, I can go back to my college, you know, writing classes where, you know, we would listen in the circle, you know, you read everybody's stuff and it would be sort of like, okay, or uncomfortable, or at least like, "Mm, that doesn't ring true. And at one point, the the professor just said, this is really hard to write about. It is. And it was really, um, why why do you, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but why do you think it's something that is challenging for, these are good writers. Partly it's because the language of sex has been so kind of, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's been um, trying to think of the right word. It's just a lot of cliche language, you know, uh, from romance novels, from porn, from all kinds of sources. And, uh, and, you know, we wanted authors who would write about sex as, something that is deeply human Mm -hmm. um and i don't know why the taboo around sex because it's as deeply human as the way we eat 
or yes. the way we deal with our mothers or or anything else and um of course here in america we're still have a very pure puritanical streak um which uh we're hoping you know that this book becomes part of the conversation about taking some of the shame out of sex and just realizing yeah this is part of who we are as human beings and it should be celebrated and what i noticed from um you know, leafing through my, my friend had a, a advanced copy so i was very excited and i was like wow these are good i mean these are sweet some of them very sweet so they're very different stories i was surprised what 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 if anything surprised you when you started reading uh the works well i mean it was all over the map i mean mm-hmm. i think you know, we had hoped that it would be very diverse, but I don't think either of us expect, I mean, it's like, wow, you know, we have sex in the afterlife and we have sex on trains and we have queer sex and straight sex and sex among married people and sex with people cheating. And, you know, it's just sort of older people, younger people, um, so it's very, it's really diverse. And um, that was, that was a kind of delight for us to, to see uh, because we, we were a little afraid we'd get a lot of stuff that was similar and, and boy, we sure didn't. And um, it's, it's great because hopefully there's, there's something in there for everybody. Yeah. Cause I mean, if they were all like, I'm just hypothetically like S and M stories or something, I would have been like, mm, this is a lot of the same. Yeah, exactly. That could be a different book. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, when when you're out there uh, promoting the book or talking to people about it in the public, uh, what are some reactions that um, readers have had or shared with you? Well, I mean, I think people uh, overall have have been super enthusiastic about it. Um, you know, the kind of audiences we speak to are the kind who would welcome a book like this. Um, as part of that conversation and also just as something that's that's I don't know fun to read I mean it was certainly fun for us to put together um, during a really dark time I mean we started this in June of 2019 and I was alone in Maine and in Brooklyn and Cheryl was in Singapore in her childhood bedroom uh, you know in quarantine and we just said, hey, let's do this book because, you know, we thought of it like 10 years ago. But I guess from readers, you know, it's like we've gotten, you know, this is a reminder of intimacy of what, you know, human beings are supposed to do, which is interact with each other. And, you know, at a time of a lot of isolation, we hoped that the book would be a kind of gift in that way. It is a beautiful collection and a beautiful um, and I was just thinking about the timing at a time where um, I, mean, I think it's perfect timing to remind us all that, you know, we're human, we, there, are, there is love and, and sex and um, just kind of after COVID. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. We weren't sure for a while. I'm just teasing. Um, you've been in Key West. Uh, I think you, you taught some classes at the studios of Key West, some writing, writing class. Uh, tell me about your experience in Key West. What was it? It wasn't your first time, right, down here. Recently? No, I came. I came uh, the first time for a residency at the studios, and um, I actually did two residencies at the studios. So I was there for a month each time, um, and uh, and then this time um, it was to do an event around anonymous sex with books and books and and the studios. 
um, some of my favorite folks that are there. Yes. But it was, it's such a, Key West is like, it's just the un-New York. Do you know? It's just, <laughs> it's, it's like everything you want an escape to be. It's just low-key, friendly, it's warm, you know, um, and the people are warm. And um, it's, it was just lovely to be there. Just absolutely lovely. I love the un-New York. I, that's wonderful. That's, that's <laughs> you can take a, a, a t-shirt of that. Key West Bullseye. and New York. <laughs> Bullseye, Hillary. I like it. I like it. It's kind yeah. of, it's an inspiring place. I've been here for a little while. Everyone I know does some type of art, like everyone, whatever their day job or profession is, they paint, they take pictures, they dance, they act. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you can be whatever you want here. Well, you know, interestingly, one of my housemates at my first residency, Lucy Stevens, um, who is a painter, ended up moving there. Oh, you wow. know, so I got to see her when I came this last time. That's how it happens, so, Hillary. You're gonna be yeah, here. it hasn't quite happened to me yet, but I'm not a big fan of, of heat. So it's, it's, I think about three months a year, I'd be happy. And the rest of the time, I'd be like, uh, huh, I'm kind of missing New York winters now. <laughs> yeah, I, this is a time of year where I start complaining. Like, why did I move here? Like, I don't have a choice. Yeah, you know, like, like, it's, it's so hot. Um, when it comes to teaching writing, um, you know, I, I, a lot of people, they, they just wanted that secret, like, well, how many pages or how, how do you do this? What's the trick? And so tell us what those tricks are. I'm just kidding. Tips. Uh, how do you well, teach I writing? Mean, the first thing that I tell anybody who wants to write is to read. I don't think it's possible to write anything decent if you haven't read a whole lot of books. And, it, and when you talk to authors, almost all of us had our nose noses buried in books from the time we were little kids. Um, and I think you're influenced by all the wonderful writers that you've read and, and you get a sense of the kind of writing that, that you like to read. And I actually, for myself, I try to write the kind of writing that I like to read. So I, I kind of like a nice literary page turner. Um, and that's kind of what I, how, one way I would describe my two books, Mudbound and When She Woke. Um, so that is the the number one thing is to read. And the second thing is just to, uh, to, to make a practice of it, you know, and to surround yourself with, with other writers. I, I, I feel like it's very motivating to be part of a group of people that you can show your work to, you know, uh, peers usually, although you can also take a class from somebody like me. Um, but it's just good to have a group of people that you trust who can give you feedback on your work and, and who you can give feedback to, because by giving feedback to another person, that's when you cross the line from reading for pleasure and reading for craft. And then you start to put together things for yourself, like, oh, this is how she did that. And if, you know, this is how you build suspense. This is how you create voices. Um, so I feel like just kind of immersion is really the thing. But but keep reading books because, um, you know, you just have to kind of swim in a sea of words all the time. Um, and that's kind of what I do. I like that. Now, you grew up in in, uh, in Texas and in Dallas and in, in Oklahoma and Muskogee. Yep. Like that's I'm getting cool. ready to go. I'm getting ready to go there tomorrow, actually, to see so my I dad just, for the first time in a year. Wow. Yeah. That's um, 
I just always think of everyone as a New Yorker, as a native New Yorker. <laughs> I don't know why. Almost none of us are, you none know. Of you are. <laughs> <laughs> Probably some of us are, but almost everybody we meet is a transplant. Kind of like Key West. Exactly. Yeah, sense. we're very few people. From. Yeah. But growing up in um in this in the I guess the West, um, how do you think that shaped or informed your work or informed I mean, um, I would think that there, there's a specific, I don't know, text, to me, Texas is its own. To me, thing. Texas is the South, but my family is very Southern. Um, so Mudbound was really based on my grandparents' stories of their farm in Arkansas uh, near the Mississippi River. Um, and my grandparents were deeply Southern, Mississippi, Alabama, you know, that they were born in the Deep South. And their uh, stories influenced that. And, you know, Texas, over the course of my lifetime, has changed so much. And um, part of that, that that change, that shift to a kind of um, extreme conservatism in its government uh, was part of what informed my second novel, When She Woke, um, which is about a, a, a future, near future America, where uh, people are punished instead of being imprisoned, they're punished by having their skin colored, uh, a certain color depending on their crime and then released. It's also a world in which church and state have integrated to some extent and abortion is illegal. Um, and it's set in Texas, <laughs> it begins there anyway. So in some sense, I've been really prescient about this and I, I actually hate being right about this, but um, yeah, I, I feel like that coming from that place, you know, there are wonderful things about the South. There's a lot of darkness around the South, and and um, and and I think that all of that has informed both of my novels. And and talk about growing up with um, what, when was that moment? Did you always read and write? When was the moment when you when you were like, I'm going to do this. I I can do this. I can write books. I can. Well, I think it was always a dream in the back of my head, you know, um, I think, I think I had, I hadn't read, read it, but I had memorized it from mom reading it to me, Green Eggs and Ham, when I was like three, right, really? um, and I started to read, I think, when I was four, so uh, always loved books, and, um, and, you know, I had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to write a novel someday, when I got out of college, I actually went into advertising. And so I was an advertising copywriter for um, 20 years. And it was really in my 30s, kind of my Christ year, actually, when I was about 33. I was living in Austin, and I was married to the wrong person. And I had this very high paying job, but I was writing things that were disposable, you know, commercials. And um, I thought, okay, you know what, I and I had a friend who was going through an MFA program and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. What do I have to lose here? So I just wrote a couple of short stories and I sent them off to grad schools and I got into Columbia and I moved to New York um, less than two years after kind of making that decision all happened very fast. So uh, yeah, I just thought it, I just didn't want to wake up at 70 and look back at my life and go, why didn't I ever do that? Um, I mean, a lot of novelists don't make it. A lot of novelists don't sell their books, uh, or if they do, they don't sell very many copies. I've been really fortunate um, in that sense. And um, 
and I'm really glad because it's, I think it's what I'm put on, it's, I think it's what I'm here to do in, in, in a sense. I think it's my purpose um, is to tell stories. And I tend to tell stories about social justice issues. So, yeah, uh, and I, um, I love hearing people just uh, in a second career, so to speak, or changing and just saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this, whatever it is. I, I love hearing that, especially if it's an art thing, because that's, mm -hmm. that's not the easiest. Uh, <laughs> who was it? Did Tocqueville who said there are no second acts in there American no. lives? Is and it? I say he was full of merde because uh, <laughs> I'm definitely having a second act. That's so. great. That's great. And finally wanted to ask, uh, growing up, or doesn't matter when, what what was that book that you reread or that struck you? That to me, it, there was two: The Outsiders and Laura Ingalls Wilder, the first one. Oh, right? Wow! Read it. Yeah. Like, we didn't have a lot of books, but I read those two over and over. I they could have taken place in the present time. That's how into yeah. them I were. But what, what do you have? Yeah, I I love those two books. Um, I read all the Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, Charlotte's Web was one of the first books that I just loved and James and the Giant Peach. I mean, Oliver O'Dowell's stuff is amazing and his adult stuff is amazing and really creepy. He writes really creepy short stories for adults, sort of like uh, Shirley Jackson-esque. Shirley Jackson -esque. Um, it was amazing yet a little scary. Yeah. Not uh, novels, modern novels, you know, the modern novels I've read as more as an adult or as a late teen. I think Pride and Prejudice just is like one of the best novels ever written. Um, Kazuo Ishiguro's books, I just adore. Um, Never Let Me Go, you know, is just uh, it's a masterpiece. Um, I mean, there are just so many books, you know, uh, there's just so many books, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings, I reread uh, many times over time. I reread it usually when I was in a time of distress. I think the last time I reread it was 9-11, right after 9-11. And, um, and at that point, I realized that a lot of the female characters are just kind of pretty uh, ciphers. So I kind of don't think I'll reread those books again, but I did love those stories and um and yeah uh I think books are a real can be a real comfort you know I think we're in a really dark time right now and um yes, we are and it's good to be in another world and it's also good to put yourself into the skin of somebody else because that's the thing we Americans are having a terrible time doing right now and yes. uh and that's what literature demands of you is to get outside your own reality and enter into someone else's. And, um, and, I, and because it can do that, and it's really the only art form that can do that, it can put you into the mind of another person. I think that it has the you know, capacity to move the needle a bit. I agree. Sneak in under your radar, you know, and, and, and maybe change people's perceptions. Um, at least that's my hope. Totally agree. Hillary Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I hope I see you again in Q. I'm sure you'll be back to QS. I am dying to come back. So any excuse, I'll take any excuse. Thank you so much, Gwen.
Catherine Weingarten. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. You, uh, you, you were in Key West recently as part of the Studios of Key West's residency, very competitive, prestigious residency. How, how Have you been here before? How did you hear of the studios? I had not uh, been to Key West before. I had just uh, found the opportunity uh, on one of those sort of like playwriting submission websites. Uh, the Playwright Center of Minnesota hosts a lot of good residencies. Uh, so I kind of applied on whim and I didn't even realize how sort of competitive the program was and also like the history of Key West and how many amazing artists have passed through it. Yeah, and uh, what was your experience like? I mean, I know you were here to work and write. Yeah. What were you working on? Um, some like little trashy projects. Um, I have this play about The Bachelor that I was working on uh, called I Met You on TV, Doesn't That Mean Something? Um, and it's sort of uh, satirical about like influencer culture and like trying to hit on people in relationships um, and actually about podcasts and interviewing. So it's kind of funny. You're I interviewing me. <laughs> yeah, it's about interviewing. <laughs> let's, I, I know you, you're, you're a playwright. You also write humor. Um, yeah. I, let's talk trash. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that one. I, I, that's when I was like, I, I, I need to interview her. Um, I love the trash. Um, and we're not really talking John Waters trash. It's more mainstream trash. Am I right? Yeah, but I guess I have actually been compared to John Waters before. And just anyone who has like a little off kilter kind of sense of humor, uh, like that guy who did um, Moonrise Kingdom, that filmmaker. Um, I'm going to mess I it up. For- Wes Anderson? Yes, Wes Anderson, yes. Get him confused with the other guy. I can't think of that man's name. um, And we're talking, uh, give give me some examples of your um, favorite trashy topics. Ooh, um, like in to write about in my work? Yeah, things that inspire you. Oh, yeah. There's so many things. Um, Well, I feel like one of my philosophies as a writer is this idea that like, you can be inspired by really like random stuff. Like you don't just have to be inspired by like the Bible or like important things or like death. Like I like being inspired by like trashier things like cupcakes or like I have a play about unicorn frappuccinos and it's about like getting addicted to Starbucks. And I like, I'm very into like pop culture stuff or things that everyone's like tweeting about and angry about like fire festival, stuff like that. And I, uh, see, because I would, I mean this um, lovingly, I'm, I'm a Circle <laughs> K fan, a Circle K fan. I'm a fan of um, uh, like, like cheap beers, but I don't, oh, I don't cool. drink sober, but like, I like to learn about them, like Steel yeah. Reserve, I don't know if you've heard of that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just a uh, convenience store culture. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm from Indiana and I mean this lovingly. I'm not, um, are you, wh- where did you grow up? What, what informed you? What town yes. informed you? So I grew up in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, um, which is like a small Jewish friendly kind of suburb. A weird fact about it is the TV show Pretty Little Liars um, was inspired by my town. So I guess that's something like this bougie secret killer vibe. I don't know. (laughs) and uh, I gotta bring this up. Um, you you were on. Uh, you wrote some things for McSweeney's 
um, recently, I over the past, okay, the, the love, Shakespeare's love sonnets rewritten by, let's say, F boys. Yeah. We all know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> why I'm afraid to say it. I don't, it's, it's hilarious. Did, 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 did they give you this assignment? Or are you just like come up with the sonnets rewritten by the F boys? I came up with it. Uh, they usually, I guess they don't really give you, you don't really pitch them. You usually just send in written things but I was actually taking a humor writing class at the time at this place called Catapult which is great they also do like online classes and I was working on this piece and uh the teacher she was sort of saying she's like take things that are very disparate uh and put them together so I was like I was writing lists and one of them was like oh like love poems because like I'm such a big romantic and I'm also like single so I write about like all that kind of angst and then I was thinking about like f boys and like how hard dating truly is versus what you think about and like the Shakespeare plays so then I sort of was like putting those ideas together and she's like okay so like maybe you could do sonnets so my teacher Alyssa the sis sort of helped me and then I sort of had fun with the idea myself and we are we are saying Shakespeare's love sonnets rewritten by fuck boys there I said (laughs) Trying to be, Damn. Right. but I mean they're wonderful we got one that's Dairy Queen employees uh, herpes um the burner phone they're they're really awesome they're on mixed Sweeney's <laughs> net my friends and then the classic plays as spam emails spam email I've never thought of it as an inspiration for like a an essay because yeah I don't I get more when I unsubscribe I think somewhere there's someone signing me up for 20 more <laughs> Um, they become the bane of my, I know everyone gets them, but I feel like I'm targeted as a reporter. I, oh, as a, you're so right. I bet you are extra targeted. Uh, they're really annoying spam emails. <laughs> I once was like working with a very sketchy theater company and I was trying to unsubscribe. I'm like, I'm not a member with you. I will not pay you again. You are sketchy. And then, so I unsubscribed and they kept sending me emails and I literally received and I was like hey can you stop emailing me and he was like if you said unsubscribe you unsubscribe and then they kept sending it to me and I was like oh my god yeah there's a couple and one of them's a local thing I don't know but I guess it's just um these cracked me up with the crucible like I saw you with the devil warning center so anyway this <laughs> I, I it's genius because it kind of takes something awful and evil and turns it into fun yeah that's what I like I just love the mashup of the trashy stuff with something classy and I think especially being a theater artist like you study those that you study Shakespeare you study the classic plays so it's fun to not put them on such a pedestal and like you know be a little trashy with them and you know let people laugh a little bit I do I do think it's it's awesome that what um what tell us about the the moment you were like I'm gonna do this I'm gonna write plays I'm gonna write humor I'm I'm were you a kid growing up writing or reading I always was a big reader I'm pro reading. Uh, you know, I was always like a little creative thing as a kid and I was very into acting. I was like very annoying. I was like, I will be a star <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> so I had like very big dreams and I always was just very obsessed with theater, but I feel like there was little literary signs. Like I'd be very into choosing monologues for myself and other actors were like ew like you actually read plays like what like can you just like choose a monologue for me and I'm like yes I've read all these plays so I was just very into like figuring out which playwrights I liked um but then I actually I got into playwriting when I was at Bennington 
undergrad, I did a 24 hour play festival and I like put my name in as a playwright, as an actor, and they picked me as a playwright. Uh, and I just kind of like fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, I can do this. And this is so fun. Uh, and I, I don't know, I also felt sometimes with acting, there's a certain, there's pressure uh, to look a certain way. And that's like a part of the business. And I was like, I don't like that. <laughs> I was like, I don't want people judging how I look as part of my job. Like I want to be able to just express myself and have fun and not have those kind of values placed on me as much. That was something I took an acting class in college. I mean, you know, and, and I was so interested in theater. I grew up in a small town in Indiana. Our, our, my parents were so great. They would take us to see plays that we were too young for, <laughs> like, like, like De- death trap and home, this, this play home that had some sexual overtones. And, but so I took a class in, in college and, and the guy at one point said, you know, you, you should try out for plays. And I, I was so, I don't know what the word is, hated the way I looked and yeah. had so much fear that it, isn't that weird that it kept me from, um, I don't know where that came from, but I wanted to share that. Yeah. With yeah. And now I do stand up and I worry and I'm like, what happened to me? And like, cause I, I, I fell into, you know, self-acceptance and, but can we talk about the of course. women's appearance, the misogyny, the war on women, I call it, or the, yeah. what's, what's going on? Are we ever going to get better at this as a culture? I hope so. I think like talking about it is really helpful um, and just like getting it out there. Uh, for me, it's like, I just, which I'm sure you agree. I just feel like humor is such a great tool to like shed awareness and start conversations. Cause you know, if I was like, I will write a very serious play about body image and if one person on stage, she throws bras at you and it's crying and talking about how she had a bad childhood. You'd be like, oh, okay, like I'm never going to come. But if you write something that's like fun and it's funny, but is talking about something that people care about and are frustrated about, like, you know, having an eating disorder, like body image, uh, it can sort of wake people up a little bit. Yeah. And I just think, I think it must be, uh, is it, it would be difficult for me to, um, to kind of write about this in a way, I mean, I mean, do you find it hard or challenging to kind of go into that issue in your work? Or uh, I do stand up, not comparing myself to you, but no, I, definitely... I, I love being able to just embrace the, um, you know, talk about it. It connects with the audience. And yeah. one day I, was, I tease the way I dress. I love the way I dress, but I, te- I tease about it. And one, one night this woman <laughs> went, oh, and I said, lady, I'm holding a microphone on stage. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think people connect with that um all women yes no no I agree and I think um as a writer I try to like go to those places like the issues I care about the things that have affected me and I think growing up I did feel this there's this thing of like oh well if you're skinny like you know if you had a boyfriend there's these things you had to be and I felt yes. like I was sort of different from that uh, and I just felt this pre- this weird idea that like, oh, for guys, it was so much like, oh, what are you going to do with your life? And for women, it's like, oh, could you be prettier? Could you lose weight? And it was like, it was so overwhelming. And I felt like no one else was noticing it. So I feel like writing, writing about it now, it's, it's very like cathartic for me because it's putting my voice out there and saying like, hey, this is something that I don't like and I want this to be better. And hopefully that connects to people also you know because I think it's sort of I've I've stopped myself in my language like this year and I'm just talking about me I was like I'm not using the f word I'm not longer saying fat I mean 
took me to be 50 years old about myself <laughs> or about anybody. And yeah. I just, I'm like, no. And then the other day I was like, yeah, I lift weights. I work, but I was like, I'm just going to work on body positivity instead of constantly worrying about weight. I mean, um, why did this take me 50 years? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, no, no, I'm a lot older than you, but it seems like your generation maybe has some more insight or more. Uh, I well, I feel like even younger than me, like I'm a millennial. I feel like Gen Z, like I noticed certain internet trends where it's like people are really into midriffs, no matter their size, and they just like posting stuff of like I'm hot, and it's less about like I look like a model and I'm hot. It's just like everyone being like, hey, like I just like wearing this outfit. I feel good. So I don't, that trend makes me happy. It's like, yes. you know, let's us all like feel good about how we look. You don't have to look like, you know, like a Kardashian or whatever to feel good about yourself. Yeah. Cause I, um, uh, what, what informs your work? What inspires you? Um, I, I love that you, uh, you say, Hey, I'm just a, a f- funny girl from, uh, from funny Jewish girl from, um, obscure Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like what we were talking about, like, uh, I think writing about body image, I think in a lot of my work, there's this idea of like press, societal pressure placed on young women to be this certain way. Um, so I sort of draw on experiences in my own life. And like, I think failure is can be really funny because uh, I, like just a lot of bad things have happened to me. Like I find them really funny. So I like write about them. Like one of my plays is about like a summer camp job where I worked and everyone was just like very cute, very polished, very put together. And I'm a little bit of like a hippie. Like I definitely fit in at Key West because I'm very like casual and relaxed. And I felt like even the counselors, they had to have like their hair straight and, you know, like juicy sweater and all put together. And like, they did not like me there. And I almost got fired like four times. And I thought it was so, at the time, it was very challenging. It was also really funny because I'm like, wow, this is going so badly, you know? I'm not <laughs> like, laughing at you. I'm relating. I'm no, relating. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I feel like writing is like this weird coping mechanism of like, wow, okay. Like I can either like cry or I could just be like, just write about it. And I think other people can relate to just, you know, things going badly and falling apart. Well, there is sort of that moment of where I'm like, oh, this is great material. Even if it's yes. something a little painful recently, I'm like, you know what? That is a great joke. Cause, um, and there is some, I know it's cliche, but it kind of take the power back. And how do you keep the line between self-deprecating and, or too self-deprecating? And uh, I don't know, someone warned me a while ago. They're like, be careful. You're a woman, you're queer, you're on stage, putting yourself down. I'm like, no, I'm laughing at myself. What do you think about yeah. that? Well, I feel like being Jewish, like self-deprecating, I'm just born that way. Like it's part of the vibe, you know? So I never, uh, I never really like censor myself when it comes to that. Like I, I love making fun of myself and I like when other people make fun of me. Cause I'm like, yes, that's so harsh. And that's so funny. Like my dad called me out recently. He's like, you never close the cupboard doors. And I'm like, burn, you know, that's true. I don't either. What what's wrong with us? I don't know, but I don't. Maybe it's a creative thing, like a messy thing. I leave. Um, my mom used to say, as a kid, she go, "I can always tell where you've been." Like horrible burglar. 
<laughs> that's just like me. It's, it's, um, um, but I just guess uh, I, you know, I've, I've recently because of comedy, I can take I can take a couple of jokes. Um, yeah, I, I hate roasts because I think oh, they're yeah. mean. Roasts, I, I don't get them, and I was roasted, and it was the lowest. It, it some of the jokes were one of them I took for stand up, but a couple of them I was like, ouch. Like, yeah uh, but what 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 do you think of roasts aren't they horrible they scare me like I, sometimes they're fun to watch but I don't think I'd like to be roasted because yeah it might hurt my self-esteem I like like a light diss every a once light. in a while you know what a I mean Probably, like one after another you have to like maybe be a little be clever like you know yes. saying I look like a guy I'm like that's not clever I grew up in yeah. Indiana you can't <laughs> you gotta try harder than that but I don't know. I guess I just think a lot about that. Um, what, when it comes to writing your plays, playwriting seems super hard to me, um, I, the way I would imagine screenwriting. But I love theater. I love that it's art happening right in front of me. What, yeah. Does it take a, it seems like it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm going to write a play and I'm going to put characters. What was it like starting out and what is it like now? Um, yeah, I think it was definitely really intimidating when I started, um, just in terms of like, cause usually like there's things that come easier to you and things that are harder. And for me, like I had a lot of fun with like character and language, but creating like a plot that kept people interested was more challenging. Uh, so I think like I have an MFA from Ohio university and like doing that advanced study, that was really helpful in terms of being able to keep an audience interest and learn like dramatic structural technique. Um, I do also think if you act in plays, if you love the theater, then it's kind of like in your heart already. And you're, you're, you, you're going to have ideas. There's going to be stuff there. Usually you just need a class or two um, or a book or something to help give you those lessons. Um, and I think now it's different in a good way, just because I've been doing it so long. I don't have to think so much. Um, I can just be like, ooh, like, you know, I want to write about Fire Festival or I want to write about bananas. And I don't have to be like, well, you know, how does a character go after a goal? Like I, some of those things are already in me. So I can just sort of uh, focus on them in the revision process. I think, um, I mean, you've done plays all over. You were in New Orleans for Fringe. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. I, I used to live there and I, I know that's a big deal. And um, is that... Um, how important is it for you to, you know, have the residencies and travel and be, um, it seems like a lot of pressure to me, but also fun. Yeah, I think that's a gift of being a playwright. And it's just like getting to see new places and I think it expands your uh, worldview. And I don't, I don't find it too much pressure. Uh, It's just cool to just meet new people and new communities. And it's exciting when people who you aren't friends with, who you don't know, can connect to your work and you're like, oh, wow, like, you know, this isn't just so specific. It isn't just relevant to, you know, people from Pennsylvania, like people in New Orleans or Key West can sort of uh, understand and enjoy this kind of humor too. Now, uh, the, the, I love titles. I think titles are the most important thing about anything. That's just me. And we've, <laughs> we've got, we've got, uh, this road trip sucks with two S's. Yes. Two S's. And you, I don't want to get it wrong. You looked hot when you stole that dress from Walmart. 
Walmart, I love all Walmarts, Costco's. I love big box stores. And yeah, I don't yeah. Who knows it. It's fun. <laughs> I live in Key West. So when I travel, I'm like, yogurt's a dollar. Um, tell me about the, 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 what inspired, was it Walmart that inspired the dress from Walmart? Um, that, that piece, um, let's see, I wrote it a bit ago. It's one of my, a queer piece that I did at the Fresh Fruit Festival. And I think it was just sort of a trashy, fun aesthetic of like, okay, they're, you know, they're out, they're at this sort of like trashy store and they feel like they have to be these two young, these girls, they feel like they have to be a certain way. Um, and, but they don't, they don't want to be that. Um, and yeah, I feel like the Walmart sort of just sets the vibe, it sets the world, but I, like you, I'm very into sort of like Burger King and Walmart and just all that kind of, you know, those big, uh, chain stores. They definitely inspire me. They're, 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 I don't know why I just love, to me, it's like being in, um, I don't know, in a safe place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Strange. Strange. And, uh, finally just wanted to ask you, um, what are you working on now? What are, um, you've done a lot. I mean, you're a young, young person. You've accomplished a lot, um, already, but what do you, what do you, um, uh, what were, what are some things you're shooting for? Yes. Um, I've been working on this play about fire festival. It's like fire festival meets waiting for Godot. And it's like just hot people like waiting for the fire festival and being sad and being hot. Um, so I was like half of that done. I'd like to finish that. Um, and who knows one day I'd love to be able to maybe get into like TV and that whole world. Uh, but we'll see. Um, yeah. And I'd like to go to, I do hope to go to Key West again one day. Cause I had so much fun when I was there on my residency. Yes. How did I not see you in Publix or did you get to, <laughs> I know you were working, but did you get to do, what was the most fun thing that, or what are some memories you'll bring back? Yeah. Oh my God. I, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, let's see. I went to the Tennessee Williams Museum. Yes. Which, you know, being a playwright, of course I had to go and it was very scandalous. Like the end of it was like, was Tennessee Williams like murdered? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like I, I didn't even know about it's, any it's of that. Different. So, so that was, that was wild. Um, and I think it was, I loved they had that, that sunset festival at five o'clock. Yeah, and, Square, yeah. Yes. No, I love that. And I definitely, I will admit, I definitely drank a lot. There was a lot of frozen drinks. So I have a lot of good, yes, a lot of frozen drink memories. I had a lot of, I had a lot of really good seafood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm so glad you get, everyone should come to Key West at some point just to, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And um, yeah. Thank you, Catherine, for taking this time. I always say final question, then I have four more, but <laughs> what makes me charming. But uh, <laughs> congratulations on everything and continued success. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to We're Not Finished, a podcast presented by the studios of Key West. The studios is a leading art institution in South Florida. It's located downtown at 533 Eaton Street. 
For a list of events and more programming like this, go to tskw.org.